Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at Truro. This morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So if you've brought a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, good news, there are Bibles in your pews. So you can take one of those out. You can open to Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I think it is page 1060. 835? That's entirely different than the Bible that's over in the chapel. I promise. I looked it up over there this morning. I had the page number right. That's right. We've got the large print Bibles in here. So 835. Of course, you can always Google Matthew 28 on the supercomputer that lives in your pocket and follow along that way. It's going to be important for you, I hope, for us, for you to follow along this morning. This is one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. It's Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven following his resurrection from the dead. It's the marching orders, if you will, for his disciples. We call these words the Great Commission. Now, while you're turning to Matthew 28, let me start off by saying that there are a thousand and one ways that a pastor can organize a sermon. And so for those of you who like to know where we're going, is that any of you in this room, you like to know where we're going? This is what's happening. My plan this week is to go verse by verse through these verses and see what this text might teach us about Jesus and about being his disciple. If you've spent much time in or around churches, you're familiar with these words. Many of you have probably heard countless sermons and the guilt trips associated with those sermons on the Great Commission. You've probably heard related quotes like this. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. That's the famous missionary Hudson Taylor. Or, if the Great Commission is true, our plans are not too big, they're too small. That's Pat Morley. Or, is not the commission of our Lord still binding upon us? Can we not do more than now we are doing? That's William Carey. Usually these sermons are a mixture of overwhelming, guilt-inducing, inspiring, convicting, and encouraging, all rolled up into one. And they tend to motivate me for about a single day. I mean, I, I want the Great Commission to be my mission, but it also often feels the realm of the extraordinary, the famous missionary and martyrs, and I'm just a pastor living on a suburban cul-de-sac, married to an amazing, to be sure, wife with just a normal corporate job. I certainly don't feel extraordinary. Mostly I feel like I should be doing bigger things for God than I am. Have you ever felt like that? Like you want to change the world for God or live a life of radical faith, but your life mostly just feels kind of normal. You can never match up to those heroes who, filled with faith, leave everything behind to go to the ends of the earth in order to make disciples of all nations. Because that's me. I feel like I'm never quite doing enough for God. My faith is never quite big enough, that I'm never quite sold out enough. So imagine my relief when I actually read the Great Commission. I didn't just, like, remember the billboard, but actually read it. Look at me, Matthew 28, verses 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) They are just like me. Worship and doubt all rolled up into one. All rolled up into one. Hope and insecurity, faith and uncertainty all at once. That's the context, friends, of the Great Commission. The disciples, they follow Jesus' instructions. They go to the mountain that he's told them to go to, where they encounter again the risen Lord. And then Matthew tells us they worship him and they doubt. John Calvin wrote, It is wonderful that after they had twice seen Christ, still some doubted. Because it's so human. It's so real. The Great Commission starts with this great reminder that these early disciples are real people, just like you and just like me. They encounter the risen Lord and they worship him to be sure, but they doubt too. This is the sort of person to whom the Great Commission belongs, to those who worship and doubt to those who believe Jesus to be the Messiah, even as they are sometimes uncertain as to what it all means and what they're supposed to do. Friends, the Great Commission, from the start, was given to those who don't have it all together. And then we get to the part that you and I, if we grew up in church, know so well. Look at it with me, starting in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Four verses to change the course of history. Jesus' final words to his disciples before ascending into heaven. Verses that start with the assurance of Jesus' authority and end with the assurance of Jesus' presence. And in between, we've got one imperative verb that is a command and three subordinate participles. Oh yes, we've got some grammar and a bit of Bible nerdiness coming your way very soon. Just what you're hoping for early on a Sunday morning. First, I have to tell you this morning when I, was, I got here early, I'm practicing in my office. Like I'm going through my notes and I get to this part. One imperative verb and three, and I've got a thumb that I had surgery on two weeks ago and the three doesn't work. So one imperative verb, three subordinate participles. But Brent Grammar can wait for just a moment. Don't worry, we'll get there. But first, let's start with Jesus. Now, we already know the context. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples a handful of times. He's given them instructions to go meet him on a mountaintop outside of the city. So they go. And there on the mountain, the 11 disciples, because at this point, Judas is out of the picture, these 11 disciples encounter, once again, the risen Jesus. And they worship him, even as they are uncertain, or doubt, as the ESV translates it. And then, look at this with me. Jesus steps towards the doubting disciples. I love that. The ESV, if you look closely, translates that Jesus came towards them. But in the Greek, Jesus steps towards them 
in their doubt, and he speaks. The first thing he says is this, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's about to give them a task that could and would and often does for me seem overwhelming. To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all of his commands. I don't know about you, that sounds like a job description with unrealistic expectations. And it is, or it would be, if we fail to hear how Jesus starts. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, all of it. The authority to assign the task to the disciples has been given to Jesus, and the authority to see the completion of the task through has been given to Jesus, all of it. It's not a task to be completed in our own authority or by our own power, but in his praise the Lord. Which brings us to the commission itself and the moment you've been waiting for, the grammar. Now, within these two verses, we have one imperative verb that is a command and three participles that modify the verb, all right? Now, I don't know about you, but generally when I've heard sermons preached on this text, the emphasis is always on going. Have you heard that sermon before? In the Greek, the primary verb isn't go. Go is a participle that modifies the primary verb. The primary verb in the original Greek is to make disciples. It's to make disciples. If you brought your own Bible this morning, circle that. Make disciples. That is the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. And then he's going to give us three participles that are going to tell us how to make disciples. But the central thrust of Jesus' Great Commission, the marching order for anyone who calls himself or herself a Christian, it's to make disciples. It's imperative, which means it's a command. And then the other three verbs are actually participles that modify it. And these, this is Jesus' final command in Matthew. So let's spend just a few moments talking about it. First, the primary command to make disciples, and then the three modifiers, where Jesus tells his disciples, and by extension us, how to go about fulfilling his command. First, make disciples. Let's define our term. A disciple at the most basic level is a follower. It's someone who's devoted to the way and the teachings of a particular teacher. In the Bible, a disciple is someone who's committed to walking in the way of Jesus. And so the instruction here is actually quite straightforward. Jesus has taught these 11 men how to be his disciples. They're devoted to him, to his teachings, heart, mind, body, and soul. Jesus has taught them how to walk. He's taught them how to live. And they're committed to walking this way. Now they're supposed to do the same thing with others that Jesus did with them. They're to make disciples. Now look closely. They're not just supposed to make any disciples. They're not supposed to make their own disciples. But they're to make disciples of Jesus. It's the instruction Jesus has for all his disciples, not just for these 11. We're to be disciples who make disciples. It's our mission. It's the command Jesus has given to his followers. It's not an option, but the very thing that makes one a disciple of Jesus Disciples make disciples. We're supposed to make disciples of all nations. Jesus' vision of discipleship transcends ethnic, gender, 
and religious boundaries to form a new community, the church of all nations. I was, spoke briefly with my mother-in-law this morning. My mother-in-law volunteers with our TIPS ministry here at Truro. Last night, she was at a dinner celebrating TIPS volunteers. And one of the things she says is that this, that is so amazing about this ministry, it happens downstairs in Undercroft, is that the nations have come here. Now, some of us are going to be called to go, and we'll talk about that in a moment, right? But friends, we don't have to leave anymore to make disciples of all nations. The nations have come to us. They've come to Fairfax County. God's church, the church that Jesus is building, is a church of the nations, transcends ethnic boundaries, gender boundaries, religious boundaries to form a new community, the church. The truth is, though, in order to grow a community of disciples from all nations, the disciples will need to go. And this is our first participle. In the original Greek, it's a participle, but it's a participle that's placed at the beginning of the sentence. And it's placed first for emphasis. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. This mission, it's to make disciples. It's not just for you and for those close to you. It's much bigger. It's good news for the nations. And so in order to be obedient, the disciples must go. And y'all, they do. These fishermen from the middle of nowhere do. They go. They go to the ends of the earth. And they make disciples of all nations. Friends, to be a disciple means to make disciples and to make disciples one must go. Some of you have been called. I'm looking right at Claire O'Leary. Some of you have been called to go. Claire spent, what, 40 years on the other side of the world so that people who didn't know Jesus might come to know Jesus. And that is the calling absolutely for some of us, right? It's not the calling necessarily for all of us to travel to China, or to Africa, or far, far away. But friends, hear this. To be a disciple of Jesus, one must go. Maybe not to the ends of the earth, but you're called to go. To leave your bubbles, to step outside your comfort zones. Certainly, this feels true for me in this season. If you've been here at Truro for some time, you'll know the Lord has called me and my family to plant a church. It's not far away. It's just down the road. It's like five miles that way, right? But we've got tens of thousands of neighbors, five and seven miles that way who don't know Jesus. And we love, we love this church. We've never loved the church the way that we love Truro. We've been here for eight years, but the Lord is saying, go. There are people still who don't know me, and I'm sending you. Friends, It's true for all of us. You want to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to go. And so are you going? It's how we make disciples. Now as we go, for the sake of making disciples of all nations, Jesus says to do two things. This is how we make disciples. First, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And second, to teach them all that I have commanded you. First, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, you might be thinking, but I'm not a priest. Am I just supposed to find my neighbor and bring them down to the 
Burke Lake Park and dunk them, right? And maybe? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, But let's back out just for a moment, because I think when Jesus says this, he's not just talking about dunking somebody in Burke Lake, all right? Although he might be. Um, Baptism is bigger than just water. We believe that. The, the calling, the challenge for the disciples here when he says go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is this. It's to invite people to respond to God's gracious initiative by entering into the church for the first time or the first time in a long time. That's what the participle baptizing describes. The activity by which a new disciple identifies with Jesus and with his community. For Anglicans, it's our sacrament of initiation, whereby one enters into the community of the Trinity. What Jesus is talking about here is what we normally think of as evangelism. It's inviting people to come and see. It's inviting people to put their faith in Jesus, to trust and follow him, and in doing so, to leave behind the ways of sin and death and enter into the body of Christ. This is imperative if we're to make disciples. We must go and invite Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Friends, who are you inviting to come and see when it comes to Jesus? This is what it means to be a disciple. You've got to go. You've got to invite others. Not necessarily to church, but to Jesus. All right? Second, to teach them all that I've commanded you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Teach them to walk and to live as I have taught you to walk and to live. Teach them to be my disciples, apprentices to my way of living, to be obedient to me and my kingdom, first and foremost, to my way of living and being in the world. What Jesus is talking about here is more than just information or good doctrine, although don't hear me wrong, that is very important. Friends, to be a disciple of Jesus means to learn to walk in the way of Jesus, to be obedient to his commands, to teach others to do the same, to be his apprentice, to do as he has taught. Jesus has spent three years teaching his disciples how to follow him. And now they're to do the same, to teach others, those who have trusted Jesus, how to walk in the way of Jesus, how to live. This is what it means to be a disciple, to go, to trust Jesus, to obey Jesus, to teach others to do the same. Friends, Who are you teaching to follow Jesus? Now I'm going to say this as gently as I can, but please hear me. You can show up to church on Sunday morning and not be a disciple of Jesus. You can show up here and then tomorrow morning do your own thing on your own terms. That's not following Jesus. Now, my goal here isn't to make you feel bad, but I do want to be clear. And I do hope Jesus' words challenge you towards greater faithfulness and greater commitment. I hope you hear them as an invitation further into a life of obedience. There might be some of you here this morning who haven't decided to follow Jesus, or it's been a long time since you've been committed to following Jesus. And the invitation for you this morning is to commit your life to him for the first time or the first time in a long time. 
Say, yeah, yeah, I want that life of Jesus. If that's you, I'd like to invite you to consider making a decision to follow him this morning. Now, some of you have committed to following Jesus. You're just not sure what to do now. Author and philosopher Dallas Willard once said, it's just so stunning to watch churches struggle to get mission statements when there it is, the Great Commission, and they should simply do what it says. It's true of churches, but it's true of us too. We struggle with what to do, with how to walk when we have the Great Commission, and the Great Commission isn't complicated. It's to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? We do that by going by inviting people into the body of Christ, by teaching them to walk in the way of Jesus. It's not complicated. Now, don't hear me wrong, right? It's hard. It's challenging. It can feel risky. But it's not complicated. Maybe you're here this morning and you've committed to following Jesus, but you're not making disciples. And that's the invitation here for you this morning. To make disciples to make disciples in your home, to make disciples in your workplace, to make disciples in your neighborhoods. Now, you might find yourself thinking, surely Jesus didn't actually expect us to do all of that. Again, unrealistic expectations, unrealistic job descriptions. We're being set up to fail. I can assure you Jesus does expect us to do this. The first disciples did it. Of course, they didn't do it because of how awesome they were. They were just fishermen and tax collectors from the middle of nowhere. The only reason they were particularly special is because they were called by Jesus. But friends, you've been called by Jesus too. He's invited and is inviting you into this mission too. Not because you're awesome, although many of you are, but because, and not because he needs you, but because it's, the go, it's in the going. It's, it's in the obedience to going and making disciples that we are in turn transformed into disciples ourselves. I mentioned earlier that the Great Commission actually starts with Jesus' authority. These verses, the, the marching orders for disciples of Jesus' final command, a command which can absolutely feel overwhelming. It starts with an assurance of Jesus' authority and it ends with an assurance of Jesus' presence. And this is why we can do this. Look with me, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Friends, don't stop there. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. We don't do this by way of our own authority, but by his. That's where the Great Commission starts. And it ends with an assurance that we don't go alone and we don't do it alone. We do it together. After all, the command to make disciples is a second person plural. It's a y'all make disciples. But even more than that, we do it with him. We do it with him and I will be with you even to the ends of the age. The Great Commission ends with a promise. And it's the sort of promise that changes everything. It's the sort of promise that makes it possible from fishermen for the middle of nowhere to go to the ends of the earth. It's the sort of promise, if we really believe it to be true, gives us the courage to head to our cul-de-sacs and our government offices and our corporate workplaces 
and make disciples. It's the sort of promise that compels us to go to our neighborhood pools and soccer fields and schools and nearby universities and bear witness to Jesus. It's the sort of promise that gives us the faith necessary to start new churches and to give even when it's uncomfortable and to love even those who have hurt us. Because friends, we don't do any of it on our own or by our own power. Thank the Lord. All authority on heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. And as you go, Jesus assures us that he goes with us. It's not on us. It's in and with him. Let me end here with a challenge. Making disciples isn't an option for those who consider themselves disciples of Jesus. And thank goodness we go in his authority and assured of the promise that he goes with us. So friends, where is he calling you to go that you might make disciples? To whom is he calling you to go? That's the call for all disciples. It's what makes us disciples. So here's the challenge. Don't let this day go by without telling someone to whom you think God is calling you to make disciples. And then go. He's telling you to do it. And he promises to go with you. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you that we go on your authority and that you promise to always be with us even as we go. And so we pray now, come Holy Spirit. Would you move in us? Would you give us the strength and courage to do the work you've given us to do? To love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Would you form us to be a people who go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that you've commanded us. And gracious God, remind us that you are with us that you are in us, that you go before us, that you empower us to do the work you've given us to do. Lord, may it be so in us today. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord.